All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Roxy Fever. I'm your host, Jax McDonald. With me, as always, Vyasaran and Elliot Hoyt. And we've got a guest this week. Uh, you know her from Twitter, uh, arguing with the, the dumbest people online, and from the Area 51 podcast. It's Sam. Sam, how's it going? Going really well, guys. How are you? I am great. I'm jealous of your food. I am having leftover fried rice. I haven't been to Vancouver in a little while. Ooh, so a Roxy I've... Fever classic if y'all eating fried rice yeah oh gosh <laughs> sorry i looked away for a second and my adhd killed me on that um <laughs> fuck what was i gonna say um vias didn't you uh have a que- didn't you have a question for sam before we get into the actual hockey stuff uh uh i thought i already asked all the Some, questions. something about courses oh yeah i had course registration a couple days ago and uh uh, how was that for fuck no i sorry i was not prepared for this <laughs> i just thought uh i'm taking all the sjw courses um because i'm following my passions and i think i was just a bit nervous about that a couple days before registering but uh everything worked out <laughs> you're sure what did you register for uh uh, uh the Strat- only statue tearing down um stat- <laughs> <laughs> writing uh i mean it'll it'll be boring but like the 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 most boring, but like I had to make a decision on courses were like between tax and like property transaction stuff, and then like I felt like I should at least be useful to my community to like my family and something, so I'm deciding to take wills. Um, but other than that, it really is all like civil liberties type stuff. Um, uh, municipal law is one. I don't know. I I'm I'm at school to get out of school. Uh, I I figured that one out pretty quickly to be honest. It's uh, it's nice to have someone on the show who actually knows something about law. So yeah. I'm really excited <laughs> to have like, Sam I, on. I, that's a bold assumption. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, I'll, fair enough. I'll, I'll be honest, uh, because I didn't do much. I, I listened to a bit of stuff about Carcillo, because uh, I didn't know if we're going to talk about that today. I looked up like a tutorial video on class actions, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> And did you uh, did you get anywhere with that? <laughs> no, I just recognized people in like the video from the law firm and started looking them up and seeing what that's great ter- terrible stuff they're doing now. So I guess the the first place to start here would be the draft lottery, which j- literally just happened as of date of recording. So Sam, you're the only one of us who I think actually watched it. Do you mind just like taking us through what it was like? How you felt, you know? Uh, it was kind of the usual. I mean, Bob Murray was sitting on his home patio, so that was hilarious. Um, <laughs> the entire panel of GMs was basically, I think the players that were, I guess they were all former Hall of Fame players, except for Kevin Adams. It was like Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake for the Kings. Um, Martin Brodeur for the Devils. It was like, it was just, you know, the regular let's hire the our best former player to be our GM situation. Um, and then I thought it was actually pretty funny because Buffalo got the eighth pick and there was clearly an immediate meltdown. Um, that rocks. Yeah. And then every team that you thought was going to do well, like the Red Wings and the Sens, just didn't. Ate shit. Yeah, it was great to not be the team that ate shit for one year. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. The So the thing I was wondering, because I missed it, I was like go picking up 
uh, I was picking up liquor or whatever. Did was there just like a live cam on each of these GMs and and stuff like in their living room or whatever, or did they like meet up in some kind of biome? Like what happened there? They were all just. It was like watching a Zoom conference. That rocks. Amazing. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So, um, I know I had to have this explained to me, so I will explain it to the listeners now. This year's draft lottery was more than a little confusing. Uh, What basically ended up happening was because the playoffs haven't actually taken place yet, there was a draft lottery to determine essentially whether or not one of the bottom seven teams would get one of the first three picks, or was it Mm -hmm. just the first pick? I thought it was just the first pick. Maybe it was just the first pick. So they basically what they did was they like, Dropped in all the teams that missed the playoffs, yeah. and four, I think, four extra teams made, made the playoffs. Four, like, blank ping pong balls, or they, like, what they actually did was they, like, looked at the table, all the lines in the table that were supposed to be for, like, teams 15, 14, 13, 12. Those all go to placeholder. Yes. So there's, like, three possible, like, the placeholder teams had the same odds as, like, all the other teams that made the playoffs added up. So there was a lottery to essentially determine whether or not that pick would go to one of the teams that we know about or the loser of the or one of the losers of the play in round. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was none of the teams that missed the playoffs that we're aware of won. So now the first overall pick is officially held by placeholder team. And there was actually a great graphic that was tweeted out by the official NHL Twitter account that just has the first eight picks with placeholder team in number one. Yeah. It is uh, like we're living through the NHL just fully becoming Calvin Ball now. (laughs) So, Sam, I, I think you're sort of known as being like someone with a bit of a more positive outlook certainly than me um does the fact that the canucks now technically have a shot at the first overall pick does that change how you feel about the play-in round i think that's the first time anyone's called me positive in my (laughs) so it's just compared to me then (laughs) um uh i think they should lose i think they should take a run at lafreniere rock on if they lose they have a one in four shot of getting that first overall, which is, I think, their, like, second best odds of ever getting first overall. Wow. They have the same shot if they lose as they did in 2016, I believe. It's a 12.5% chance. Right. What's that? Which is, like, our worst season ever in the last I few think years, so, or? yeah. Right. Uh, does it make a difference how much we lose? Because I, I heard some no. people say, like, we should try to sweep or get swept. Okay. No, win or lose. That's all okay. that matters, I think. I was gonna say I think if the play-ins get canceled and they don't play at all, they still have the they still have a decent chance at first. I don't know what the percentage is. Yeah. Um it's in case you couldn't tell, uh this is extremely fucking confusing. <laughs> um and I don't know why they decided to like hold a lottery before they know what's going on. Because it seems to me that that could like potentially affect the results of the play-in round. I mean, my understanding from like most athletes I've talked to and stuff is that you don't ever throw a game. Like you don't ever try to lose. But even still, like 
you know, you could you could see how it might be slightly deflating if you're like a bubble team to know that if you lose, you might win the first overall pick, you know? I mean, one part of that is that you're basically drafting someone who's more likely to take your job. But if you're, I mean, Jack Eichel comes to mind, although he's not in the playing round. But if you're Jack Eichel, you're like, well, they're going to keep me. And at least if they get Lafreniere, I have one good guy to play with. Okay, here's what I would do if I was a team. And I can't hear Sam right now, but uh, so... That would be because uh, she's muted. Okay. Well, I also can't see her in the thing. But anyways, uh, if I was the manager of the Canucks, if I was Jim Benning, or uh, if I was a team who really wanted to get that first overall pick and I was in the playoffs, I would expose my players to COVID. That's my that's my take. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> the thing about people saying that how are players going to throw a game? Like that's I that's never been my position when I wanted them to tank. I just wanted them to do what Steve Eiserman did and ice an ECHL quality team. <laughs> yeah, fair fair enough. Yeah. yeah, I mean nobody ever actually wants a team to lose on purpose. That's a yeah. that's that's totally horseshit. Like everybody knows that players don't do that. But uh, like tanking insofar as it occurs always occurs at the management level. But it just it still does seem like not a very good idea to announce the results of a like it's it's all just mind palace shit. It's all just like you know, okay, let's let's say hypothetically the playoffs happen and all the teams advance to the or the play in rounds happen and then all the teams advance to the playoffs. Now we have a hypothetical team that will draft first overall. Like Imagine trying to explain this to somebody who like doesn't follow the sport. I mean, fuck, I've I've had to explain yeah. it to people who do follow the sport. Like, it's just the most insane rinky dink shit I've ever seen in my entire life, pretty much. Yeah, there's definitely some things that are hard to make explain in normal hockey, and this is just not this is pointlessly complicated. Now, when is the draft gonna be, is my question. So like when like is is the timeline gonna be kind of screwed up? Like when have we determined that yet? No idea. I mean, I obviously it's been postponed, so. right? Because it would have happened already. <laughs> yeah, from what I've heard, they're thinking like September or October, but they, they don't really know because nobody knows anything right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, honestly, like we have to cover it because it's the most current piece of news and there's uh, there's like a local interest for it but honestly like i that's about as much as i want to talk about the draft lottery just because it's so absurdly confusing that like and i mean let's be real like the playoffs probably aren't going to happen anyways so mm-hmm. it, it just feels like spending any more time on it is is just a waste of valuable energy so the the next thing that i wanted to talk about is the hub city saga that apparently, I guess, just ended. Did you guys follow the like uh, attempts for Vancouver to become the the Western Conference hub city for the NHL at all? I did not so much. I was just secretly hoping that it would fail the whole time. See, uh, yeah. I've changed my mind about this. Elliot wants to catch COVID, that's why. No. I think it's that if they're going to try to bring the league back, the best and safest plan... I still don't think it's a very safe plan, but I think it's the safest plan would have been to have one of the hubs in Vancouver. I think that's fair. What, what do you think, Sam? What, what Did you have a like a dog in this fight at all? I mean, I agree with Elliot that it would be the safest place, but I think the actual safest thing would to be not to play. Mm-hmm. 
Sure, but I don't think they're coming to that conclusion until after they at least try. Yeah, no, that's fair. So, so you I think, I mean, of the available options, I thought it made sense. So you didn't want them to hold it here, eh, Sam? No, like not even a little bit. Same here. <laughs> if they're going to do it, I would legit not uh, set foot anywhere near downtown just for the fear of catching it from some player. Yeah, and I guess I have a bit more confidence in this now because I know that BC didn't bend to them to the point where they decided not to come to Vancouver. Whereas if that hadn't happened, I might not have that confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation as to why the NHL didn't end up, you know, centering in on Vancouver. A lot of it basically just centers around the idea that, like, they wanted BC to waive a bunch of regulations and that BC wouldn't cave on that. And ultimately, I think that's probably a good thing. If, I mean, not, if that is in fact the case, not even just wave regulations, but wasn't there that one tweet I saw about how Ontario is now making it so if you're asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, uh, you're allowed to go into work, and your workers are just supposed to try to figure it out somehow, and that was a huge incentive point for the NHL, and that's why Toronto is still on the table for them. That's insane. Yeah, if that's, that's yeah, the case. exactly. I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. It's NHL brain. <laughs> Yeah, it's it absolutely a- is NHL brain, and we are seeing like how much the it just like how much of the NHL is just run by complete babies. Like it just seems like no one has any idea what they're doing. Uh, it, it's just old men with money who uh, have who have yes men around them this whole time. Yeah, uh, they've absolutely. never had consequences for their actions. Um, they uh, they they have no humility at all. And they really just want to get back into the game and their owners are are wanting them to do it. I mean, I think this is completely consistent with like the NHL's track record of what they think is player safety. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. fair enough. I mean, uh, the other like the the other thing that I wanted to I wanted to bring up as far as covid and hub cities are concerned and we'll we'll get to it more in detail in a minute but um obviously this past week Austin Matthews tested positive for covid and that was a whole saga but the thing that just keeps happening is that even in situations where hockey isn't happening there's no real reason for players to be catching covid it still keeps happening and so that doesn't exactly give me a lot of confidence when it comes to their attempts to restart the season like if sam if they do restart the season like how do you see that going poorly (laughs) (laughs) i mean to be fair i think austin matthews and old town scottsdale was like a hundred percent chance that he was gonna catch (laughs) fair enough yeah is like has the nhl ever done anything except except the rule change for icing so that it like it's an automatic icing to so have they done anything except that rule to make players safe like players more safe that seems like the only time the nhl has actually made a proactive decision to reduce injuries in hockey that wasn't even proactive either because a player did get horrifically maimed uh by like racing down to the to the other end of the ice and that's why they ended up changing the rule so I don't think the NHL has ever done anything proactive <laughs> to um to for like player safety reasons if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. Player probably um, has to die before they actually stop. I'm I, I do like heavily recommend. I mean if you don't listen to 
Puck Bunnies and do you listen to our show? Like, what what are you doing? Go go listen to Puck Bunnies. But I do like really recommend this most recent episode because they got into this a lot. But their theory, and I, I basically share it, is that it's basically going to take somebody being hospitalized or dying for them to stop. Mm-hmm. Or someone, yeah. or just like a government body stepping in and being like, no, you can't do this. Which is a really horrifying thought. Does Doug Ford want to be the guy who says no to hockey and like shuts down the league? He will absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. No way. God, what like it's great that Doug Ford is going to be the guy who is in charge of of like figuring this out too. It's this is his dream come true, really. He probably always wanted to run like own a hockey team or be the commissioner of a league, really. Yeah, probably. Here, uh, one sec. I'm just going to go get a drink. I'll be right back. Okay. What's uh what what's uh what's your practice right now? I do primarily commercial litigation. What other law stuff? <laughs> <laughs> um, I it's been very weird to even like be on the show because I really thought it was going to be be a career liability, uh, just to be on the show. Literally, the first episode that we had, um, I go to Jackson's and we do the intros and he's saying his name and we both look at each other understanding that we weren't clear on whether or not I wanted to even have my name out on the show. It was just like put on the spot and I just paused and sighed and said, Vyasaran. <laughs> just like pretty much exactly how I treated Twitter was like, that's why I don't have my full name on there. Yeah. I didn't say for the longest time that I was a lawyer and then Malcolm accidentally outed me and then it was no couldn't pull that one back in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I have, I have all of the same concerns. You it's yeah. impressive how good um, how good Yerky Twenty One is at that, and how good to a much lesser extent how good Pet Bugs is about that. Because mm-hmm. like, I mean, I'm very stupid, but I definitely thought Yerky's name was actually Yerky after a while. Really? Oh, I don't. Wait, what's uh Is he a lawyer or isn't he in? No, he works probably for the government because he is in Ottawa. Oh, okay, that's all anybody knows. That makes sense then. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Sam. Actually, the the reason the way I got the job at Pivot um, is very stupid and very uh, yeah. Ba- basically, there's a guy who listens to the show, <laughs> and he's dating one of the lawyers at Pivot. And when she was out looking for who to hire as the next intern, she she and him talked, and he mentioned that <laughs> I was at Uvic and finishing my second year. And I got an Instagram DM from her. <laughs> and I finally confirmed that it was him who, like, put in the good word for me. So, That's amazing. So, so your podcast went from being, like, a concern about your job <laughs> to getting you your job. 100%. And it's my dream job. So uh, That's it's a very, very silly year. It's just weird shit has come from this podcast. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and it is weird having a following that is, like, all these, like, hockey like white hockey fans and then all these like very uh very much diverse uh intersectional um like community organizers and they're very confused whenever they see my name show up on all this hockey stuff and likewise i think i'm curious what like what's the concern for you guys when it comes to like 
you know, being on a podcast and having people know who you are and that you're, you're a lawyer? Like what's the root of the, of the concern there? Cause I've, I've never had a job where I had to worry about saying anything on the internet. So I'll let Sam take this one off the top first. Um, I mean, I think I'll start with saying I'm, I'm probably more cautious than I need to be. Um, but I think that I've seen some of the complaints people can file with a law society. And I think that the stress of kind of dealing with it, even if it doesn't go anywhere is pretty brutal. Um, and I think just generally the, the law society's view of what might be mm-hmm. conduct unbecoming, which reflects mm-hmm. poorly on the profession is, subject to interpretation and i just don't ever want to be i don't want to deal with it Mm -hmm. it's a very difficult thing to be righteous about within just because you you will probably get screwed over no matter what um and sam's answer of saying like being overly cautious or she that she's probably being overly cautious well that's like what being a lawyer is uh (laughs) like all the time and for good reason just because of what the stakes are sure um uh, but mainly it is like uh, if you the people you meet in law school and the people you meet in this trade, uh, uh, a very large amount of them will come after you for whatever they can come after you for. And interpretation can be quite broad. And so when it like it's not good to make an enemy in law. And uh, naturally for me, with a lot of the uh, social justice work I do, um it gets antagonistic and I just kind of know uh, yeah, that the I'm... guys who are gunning for a job at like the in-house council at soil and green are probably like, <laughs> Oh, that Vios. <laughs> yeah, that well, it's just like, it's very like if I had somebody who just wanted to fuck with me, they could really fuck with me like, like at another level and like really mess up my, my time in this trade. If I am if, like to continue to for a long time remain, within the law society. So it's just, uh, it's just not wanting somebody on your back. And, uh, especially if I'm going to be part of an organization, uh, like I would like to actually stay with the organization that, um, like fingers crossed, uh, with, with the one I'm with right now. And so I just wouldn't want anything to reflect poorly on them. And, it, and it's weird. This is the first time that I've ever considered, uh, putting that little line in my bio about, uh, what I say here and what I retweet does not necessarily reflect the views of my employer. First time I've ever had to think about that. Um, luckily, the place I work at has been very, very generous about that and kind of has actively encouraged um, some of my posting. So, yeah. So the other thing that the other like big, I guess, uh, you know, COVID related story is that Austin Matthews tested positive earlier this week. And it caused like something of a stir on the media circuit in terms of whether or not it was ethical to disclose this uh, or to report on it. And I'd be interested in like all of your guys' takes on this, but Sam, you're the guest. So I'm going to start with you. What did you think of this whole controversy? Uh, I actually didn't follow that one super closely. My one thought about it was limited to... (laughs) how do I get this story without reading Steve Simmons? <laughs> um, Fair. But I, I mean, I guess I hate to do this, but I kind of see 
both sides of it. I get why people think it's it's not really like a hockey related injury, but it's it's still relevant in the sense that if we're going to talk about return to play, this is kind of important to know. Yeah, I remember when I predicted that a GM might just expose a player to COVID uh, so they can get that pick. I think this is a very <laughs> shrewd mood by uh, by the boy with the glasses. I forget his name. Kyle, Kyle Dubas. Kyle Dubas. <laughs> well, you know, Kyle got hired under the pretenses of, like, you know, leave no stone unturned when it comes to being competitive. So, um, you know what, Sam? I, I actually agree. Like, I do understand the um, – I do understand certain qualms insofar as like it's not a hockey related injury and obviously if someone got this information from Austin Matthews's doctor that would be obviously very very bad. Are the odds of that high? No. No. <laughs> okay, then <laughs> It seems like almost certain to me that he fucking messaged his boys DM and like as you you know, know, some guy from Scottsdale just like leaked it. You know, <laughs> just um, LOL got the Rona, and and then that led to this. And then someone sent that screenshot to Steve Simmons, yeah, um, or something. And I mean, it, it. There's also the fact that, as Sam alluded to, it is Steve Simmons, so not exactly somebody with a ton of goodwill built up. But at the same time, like I, while I definitely understand, like you know certain qualms about like did uh you know did steve do due diligence and make sure that like you know this was he got this from a, a reputable source and not you know he wasn't just like disclosing private uh medical information that came from a doctor but the or thing that i falling for like a fake set of screenshots yeah totally <laughs> but the thing that i don't understand is the idea that it's not news or that it shouldn't be reported yeah. Because as as Sam said, if we're, if we're talking about return to play, well, there's one thing that completely dictates uh, whether the return to play is going to be successful or not, and it's how much we can keep the players from getting coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So it would seem to me that if a player has coronavirus, that is relevant information uh, that is in the public interest to mm -hmm. know about. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question and i'd be interested in like different takes on this is just sort of like if you're getting if you get squeamish about reporting on this thing that's like slightly sort of outside of the purview of hockey but is 100 percent related to hockey and in the public interest like how much can you really be trusted to report on anything that isn't just like line combinations um I have two. I have two points. One, I'm just really glad that the Ringer is finally covering hockey. Uh, it's been a long time, so welcome, uh, welcome Steve Simmons to that. Um, <laughs> so the other, the the other one, and this this helps with the controversy. Like two big scandals he gets involved in this week, I guess. Eh? Um, the other one is for me. Like if health wasn't involved here, I think it'd be I'd be a lot quicker to jump to jump to just being like, oh, but but it's interesting, so we should know about it. Uh, I I don't know enough about um how healthcare can or individual people's healthcare can play into reporting. Uh not that uh not that I think like it came from the doctor or something, but I'm just I feel like there's a lot more due diligence that has to be done 
uh, or it's just a much more dicey area of reporting. Um, so the thing, yeah. my response to that, I guess, would be like um, Brent Sopel hurt himself bending over <laughs> to pick up a cracker. That's not a hockey ra- related injury, and it's not related to it's not related to playing hockey, but it does affect like it is relevant because it's a hockey player who got injured. <laughs> And it's and like, or, it is incredibly embarrassing. Yeah, and or you know Sammy Sallow getting bitten by the only poisonous snake in Finland or whatever. Like all of these are examples of injuries that were disclosed, and you know a part of me just sort of can't help but feel like the real issue here is that a it's a leaf, and b it might <laughs> it might like reflect poorly on the NHL and on. A guy who got in trouble last offseason. Yeah, and the Leafs organization in general. And it yeah. just sort of seems to me like if you can't um like if 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 this is the thing you're gonna come out and go like, wow, it's really wrong for everybody to know that like the second most famous player in Canada has the disease that's caused the entire economy to halt and for like hundreds of thousands of people globally uh to die from. Like it, it just kinda seems like I question your utility as a journalist at all. The death part is what rings is the biggest part for me, though. That's all. That this is a death, like potentially deadly thing. Sure. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, think, I think the other side of it is he's not the first NHLer to have COVID. Like there were, I think, what two Avalanche players, six Sharks or Senators, can't even remember. But three like, Lightning. Yeah, there have been a number of players who have tested positive and weren't named so it, he could have absolutely reported about what happened without naming him yeah I I that's true kind of a out there idea which is that because like the tampa players didn't get named right there have been so. players who who have gotten it and haven't been named and i think yeah. the tampa yeah. players are among them yeah um i kind of like a galaxy brain take about this which is just that if you truly believe the nhl should not play like for public safety reasons and one of the probably the, one of the most quickest ways for that to get shut down is for high profile players to start getting covid yeah and considering that austin matthews is like the second or third biggest name in the sport him getting it is actually like a huge wall to them restarting that's a that's a take that i've heard in the past I think actually a friend of the show, Justin Morissette, had a similar like outlook where if you just reported a Leafs player has COVID, people would just immediately assume it's like Dimitro Timoshov or whatever and like not give a shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I get, I get your other point. Like if I have to think about Dustin Penner throwing out his back from eating pancakes. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Now I just really want to do a heritage minute on the stupidest Canucks injuries really badly. But also Oh yeah, there's so how, many good ones. How did it become in like who who leaked it that it was a cracker and a snake? Right? That's like, a good question. I don't know. I think his agent for some reason I think that his Sammy Salo I could see having like a really great sense of humor about it. But yeah, Sopel, maybe Salo like, said that. That's his like first playoff series in a while. Um he's already kind of a, a player who like a lot of fans are not really, weren't really sure if they liked him or not. Um, we're pretty quick to judge him. Um, yeah, I thought he just admitted that. Like, why would you want that to get out? Like, that doesn't. Look I thought good. he was just like admitting it, laughing about it. Like, oh, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one thing that comes up uh, fairly often is that in most of these instances, like the agent disclosed it and yeah. that yeah. like makes it better or whatever. But the thing the thing that I that I just don't don't really understand is that it, unless he got this information directly from a doctor, if he has proof of Austin Matthews telling someone that he has covid that isn't his doctor then i'm sorry but like ultimately if he didn't want that to get out then yeah he told the yeah. wrong person like when you're a public figure you like i'm not even a public figure i'm a guy on the internet that like because of the i write about hockey there are slightly more people who know me and i don't know them than normal and i still have to deal with this shit you know and I still have to think about, like, you guys just talked about being lawyers and having to be careful about what you mm-hmm. say in a public forum. Like, and you guys are two random people from the internet who are also mm-hmm. involved in law. Like, I just don't really buy that, like, the literally, like, probably the most famous hockey player in Canada, aside from Connor McDavid, it, it is like, you know, somehow, you know, not at all responsible for telling his idiot friend. Um, that he has it if he didn't want it to get out, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, to me, if anybody is shitty in this situation, it's whoever leaked the friend. it. Yeah. yeah. Now, so I have a theory about this, that it's Mitch Marner. <laughs> He's mad that Austin has the spotlight. He's going to take him down by, you know, disclosing his COVID status. That does that does actually make sense. Um, I could I could definitely see that. So I guess the while we're on the subject of you know like morality, <laughs> um, it's we might as well get to like why we had Sam on the show in the first place, which is uh, a pretty serious story. It has emerged this week that I think it's safe to say was hinted at over the last couple of years, especially with. Uh, Dan Carcillo alleging uh, abuse at the hands of the players and coaching staff of the Sarnia Singh a couple years ago, but uh, Daniel Carcillo, Garrett Taylor, and I think they're the only two so far. Uh, have... uh, another guy joined today. Oh, okay, and another another player now. Uh, has he been named or is he still anonymous? He's been named, but I do not recall his name. Okay, so that's fine. So three three former CHL players now have filed a class action lawsuit against the CHL for abuse that they suffered while playing in the league. Mm-hmm. So Sam, you've followed this fairly closely and you've been a real like good uh watchdog and a good uh information source on this. What can you tell us about the the class action lawsuit? Um just to jump back quickly, the guy who came forward today isn't actually He's not technically a plaintiff. Um, he's not a representative plaintiff. He's, I think, and without kind of knowing the inner workings of what the law firm is doing, I, my best guess is that he and kind of any other players who come forward will be, quote unquote, joining the lawsuit by giving affidavits for certification and not, not technically being the named plaintiffs. I think it's probably just going to be the two guys who are already named. Um, but in terms of the general class action, um, I think Sean would be mad if I didn't 
plug Area 51 a bit and say we talked a bit about this on our last episode, um, but the general gist of it is in a class action, you have you have what's called a representative plaintiff and you basically represent the entire class that can be that can be sued and that the definition of the class just depends on what's in the claim. Okay. Um, and here that's like every player who uh, has been abused within the CHL, right? Yeah. 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 It's a pretty broad claim. There's no, yeah. there's, it's a, it's a broad definition. It's like, I think it's any player who's ever played in the CHL. Yeah. yeah it's a enough. huge class. Yeah. And usually you have time limits to a class, but I think there, there was no time limit to the class. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. It's warranted too, because my kind of understanding with regards to not just the CHL, but really junior hockey in Canada altogether, is that it basically at least was, if not is, an abuse factory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know someone who will remain anonymous that played in the BCHL in the I guess late seventies, probably maybe early eighties who told stories about like really, really heinous shit. Like we're talking like what it, what would essentially be despite, you know, they would call it hazing, but was without a doubt would be described as like a violent sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And some of the stuff that, that these players are alleging, particularly Garrett Taylor is, just the kind of stuff that would not be um, acceptable in normal society under any circumstances. I know Taylor alleged that during his time with the Lethbridge Hurricanes, like having to like bob for apples and piss. Yeah. And the thing is, is that that doesn't even register as one of the worst things that he alleged. Um, I know Carcillo back when he came out talking about the Sarnia sting, like two years ago now, over two years ago now, I think, he said that there was an incident where players were like tied to a chair naked and beat with a sawed-off hockey stick. So yeah, that was one of the worst ones I heard from watching some videos from last year. And funnily enough, one of the like one of the last notable things Don Cherry came out against before being fired was at the end of the 2018 season when all this information was coming out, he said that he was anti-hazing and he thought it was disgusting. <laughs> and he wow. and he actually made a distinction between like the kind of stuff you would expect, like making the rookies take a extra lap before practice yeah. or uh, making the rookies carry the veterans gear or like stuff like that. Like like goofy frosh week shit. And okay, so and abuse, like what we're actually talking about here. Yeah, the two the funniest thing about Don Cherry's career in retrospect is like he had two or three really good opinions, and it's like I can't tell if these are good opinions or if it's just because the baseline for you is just so low. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's entirely fair. Like, but to your point about like what Don Cherry thinks is susceptible hazing, it's like I was thinking about my own like experience in sport and whatnot. And, like, yeah, we made the younger kids, like, load boats or, like, do work or, like, clean the goose poop off the dock. But, like, yeah, that was it. Like, why would why would you do anything else? That'd be weird. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just so alien to me. Like, who, why are you doing this? And I realize there's also, like, a 
And like, I never heard of anything like that happening either. But I also realized it's also a, uh, like, there's a material reason for that, which is that hockey has no shortage of kids who want to join, whereas we were always fighting for recruitment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so maybe that's, that, like, that's absolutely explains fair. the cultural shift that obviously took a long time to, like, metastize to what it became in hockey. Fair enough. That's yeah. a really interesting point because, like, I, I very briefly was part of a fraternity in, at UBC, and uh, it, joining that stuff is not very common uh, in Canada, period. And so the pool of people who are trying to get in is uh, not that large. Uh, and so so basically what I'm saying, though, is, like, the hazing wasn't uh, anywhere near on the level that I had read about anywhere else before. Uh, so, yeah, that kind of makes sense with what you just said. So, Sam, with regards to the lawsuit, what exactly, if if Carcillo and um, Taylor are successful, what exactly would that entail? Um, so it's going to be a pretty long process. For class actions, you have to get certified first, so it's not guaranteed that they will be certified. Um, you have The first stage is you have to establish that there are enough common issues for each of the class members that it makes more sense procedurally to try it as a class rather than have each of these people bring lawsuits against the CHL. Um, and there are going to be a lot of defenses available. Realistically, class actions don't go to trial. They almost always, actually, I think they do. I, they almost always settle before you go to trial. Um, and it ends up being just if, it depends on what you think success is, right? Like mm -hmm. the most likely outcome is they agree to settle for a large sum of money. The settlement will outline the terms that they negotiate um, for a mechanism to pay every member of the class. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. So Sam, what do you think about the uh, arguments against this kind of class action like where do you think that they might suffer from getting that uh, certification because for me like when I saw that it was every league in the CHL uh, and then the time uh, there being no limit like I think those make sense on just just if you were to explain that to somebody like that's probably what the what a class action should have but to a legal mind like who who has seen class actions before uh, that it just kind of surprised me that they're going with that it just seems like my my guess would be that a court would be like let's just stick to one league or like let's really define what abuse is and they'd probably narrow it down to like maybe just focus on sexual abuse and uh be like let's leave the hazing like the other kind of hazing for other situations or whatever but yeah i was curious what your thoughts were yeah i think it's definitely a concern it's a pretty it's a pretty broad pleading like you said um it doesn't in a lot of these cases, otherwise, I think if you're going for personal injury damages, which they do claim, it's pretty difficult for a class because you end up having to, if you end up going to trial, the, the argument would be that even if you assume that they're liable, you'd have to look at each individual person's injuries to determine what damages are available. Um, but I think the counterpoint to that, and I think if I were the class action lawyer, it's that they've argued they've argued systemic negligence before. Um, it's pretty it's a pretty rare cause of action, um, but I think it's been argued in the context of residential schools and solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are a few cases. 
kind of over the last few years where um, Koski Minsky, which is the firm that his that Crisello's lawyer works for, has been successful in getting aggregate damages. Uh-huh. Um, and so in that case, it, it makes it a lot easier. But yeah, I think if there are a lot of ways for the defense to kind of tackle and say that there aren't there aren't enough common issues here and that they should they shouldn't be treated mm-hmm. as a class. Could I just like quickly confirm? So Koski Minsky, Gordon, or oh, Koski Minsky, are they the uh, counsel for like Carcillo, like for yeah. for this class? Okay, yeah. yeah, cool. And my understanding is that they kind of have a history of these sorts of class actions. They are a purely plaintiff side class action firm. I think they're probably one of the top three plaintiff yeah. side class action firms in the country. They actually well, that's ju- good. and they actually just uh, I think they are kind of a partial merger with like a major union side labor firm in Vancouver as well. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Uh, That's, that's really interesting because I, I sort of, I brought this up on Twitter earlier this week, but I, I actually, I have like a bit of a connection to this story insofar as I like, I started, I, I picked up on it when Carcillo initially was talking about it a couple years ago. And I had this very like, very very short-lived column where i would just sort of in bullet form like talk about a bunch of stories from the week that i couldn't get a full article out of basically and the thing that i centered in on immediately was how it seems pretty obvious to me that there's a a glaring hole uh, in these leagues when it comes to protecting the players because there is no body of representation for them. And obviously, like, it would be easy to just point to they should get a union, and obviously, like, I would support that. But it's it's not even... It's, it's not even that like it, it doesn't even have to it's not even just about like, oh, they should get paid or whatever or like they should have a union. It's, it's literally just like you have kids who are all yeah. playing in this league and whenever something bad happens to them, their only course of action is to go through the league. And that seems like an obvious problem to me. Yeah. Well, I think another league aspect the league has up is that a lot of players who were on these teams are still are claiming that these things never happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's apparently a letter signed by a bunch of former Lethbridge Hurricanes stating that they're very upset to hear that any this happened to anyone because yeah. they don't think it happened. Yeah. So this, um, you've, you've centered in on a, another issue that, that comes along with anything like this, which is that, so I, I spoke to somebody about somebody who knew a bit about the, the first attempt to organize a CHLPA, which was a total disaster. Um, and he kind of he had a personal connection to it, and so he like filled me in on some of the stuff that happens and what happened. And one of the things that he mentioned was how difficult it is to organize these kids because a lot of them a like just don't really care because they're not there for that long, and it's fun. Like it's fun to play hockey, and for a lot of kids, you know, like they're they're not overly concerned about this kind of stuff. Like if you're at the top end of it. If you're at the high end of the hierarchy, you're not really the one who has to worry about this stuff. You're more worried about like, are you going to be able to go on to a pro career? Yeah. And because the CHL 
sells the idea that you're you know you're going to go on to be a pro player, play in the NHL, and be a superstar, there isn't a huge there isn't much of a desire to rock the boat. I mean, I think I'm going to assume that this letter is written by Zach Boychuk. <laughs> oh, that so seems reasonable. Funny you should bring up who this letter's signed by. So it's signed by a bunch of former players. Uh, Carter Ashton, famous for getting suspended for PEDs. Carter Banks, <laughs> whose name sticks out to me. Uh, Utica Comets player. Utica Comets At one player. Point Dwight or King of the LA Kings. Always love that for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, Fancy Stats Twitter fan favorite, Colton Sivoir. Ah, yes. Uh, Brody Sutter, because there's even more of them. <laughs> That's what we needed was more Sutters. <laughs> And Lucas Pisa and what? Zach Boychuk. <laughs> Lucas Pisa. Yeah, so like every veteran on that team, every veteran on the team that was named in the action, uh, which is always a questionable thing to do. Like if if I were their lawyer, I would be like, hey, you could be a potential witness in this and maybe you should not put anything in writing. Yeah, seems also yeah. like a bad idea that it was all veterans. Like you'd think you'd you'd want to look for some rookies to sign on to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like unsurprising that the veterans were the ones saying it didn't happen when, you know, as we all know, hazing is generally a thing done to rookies by veterans. Um, so obviously, like it's going to be pure speculation, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot here, but like, how do you see this going for them? Like, do you think they have a decent chance of? at least getting a settlement or is this just like are they just barking up the wrong tree i mean i think there are i think there are always defenses available and i'm sure the chl with their vast resources will hire really good defense counsel um so it depends on kind of what argument they throw at them i think if they get it certified in the last year certificate this test for certification has kind of gotten lower and lower but even mm-hmm. so i think like the said there it's a it's a broad claim and i think there are some clear issues but there i think that they will get certified is my guess um plaintiff's mm-hmm. counsel i think plaintiff's counsel tends to you know they can amend the claim there are ways to clean it up um but yeah, that would that would be my guess, but it's entirely speculative. Yeah, and that it's already it would already be like a big win, so to speak, by getting certified in the first place. Like if if you hear that, that's really good news for them. Um, yeah, I I'm thinking like what are the bounds of what success could be? Like it could very possibly be that the court limits this to the Sarnia Sting, depending on what or the Lethbridge of, Hurricanes or whatever. or, or the Lethbridge. Yeah, yeah, just between those few teams and and that would be arguably that would be one of the things that uh the defense would be pushing for yeah um just like you want to if 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 uh if you're in defense you want to narrow it as much as possible um and so the chl will push for that uh at the very least um yeah like getting getting the whole league is is going to be such a huge task the scope of it is is really quite large and that's that is both exciting if you want to see things change and people be held accountable, but it's also very daunting. I actually have a quick question, like for going back to the beginning, Sam, when you were talking about how they got they got a couple names today who are just providing affidavits. They're not they're not joining on as plaintiffs. Um, 
even like the tier below a name plaintiff uh, or representative plaintiff. Um, do I mean do, sorry? They would they would still be plaintiffs. I mean, oh okay. They would they would be class members. I think every class member is, I guess, technically a plaintiff, but you don't refer to them as the plaintiff because they're not right the rap. Okay. Oh, thanks for that. Law school continues. Yeah. 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 Well, so what my question was going to be is, can can you be anonymous if you're joining that class? So, um, Ontario, it just depends on the province. You don't actually, it, it's more a function of who gets paid out at the end of it right. and whether you're a class member or not. So it, from province to province, it varies. Um, in Ontario, Ontario is an opt out jurisdiction. So you're automatically in the class if you fall within the definition. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually have to be named publicly to claim the damages. It'll just depend on what the mechanism is to pay out the class members. Uh -huh. um, if you want to, when they say join, I think they really mean um, kind of act as a witness for the plaintiff side. Yeah. And my, my guess and this is again just total speculation is that they were going to have to try to get a witness for every team in every league yeah yeah hmm. so that, yeah, that's that that's where reasonable. i'm getting scared of it uh of it of it being able to win on the terms that have like that's uh like the very broad terms at the very least is that you're talking about pretty much every major 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 town in canada uh getting somebody brave enough to to put their names down on this uh that's such a huge ask. Like it are it already is so difficult to get um get all the plaintiffs together for a class action. But when there's like very clear intimidation um that is on the table, uh that just that just makes this so difficult. And if you don't if you don't have the best lawyers. And and Koski Minsky is is really, really huge, but if they're not putting all Do we know like, who the CHL's legal counsel is gonna be? No. Well, I assume they will be making uh, plenty of calls to the Little St. James Bar Association. To... <laughs> I could, yeah, <laughs> you're going to yeah. get defended by like Alan Dershowitz or something. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I guess the, the, the last little, it's, I wouldn't really call it news because it all sort of blew over as, as it is wont to do. But there were some comments made by uh, Andrew Walker on Sportsnet 650 this week pertaining to the class action lawsuit. And Sam, I know I actually got literally every piece of information about this from you because <laughs> you transcribed it, which was very, oh very gosh. a valiant thing to do because Lord knows I, you know, I, I don't even listen to 650 when it's somebody's show that I like. Uh, so... Um, yeah, the chances of me listening to to Andrew Walker are uh, are always very very low. But do you mind just taking us through sort of uh, what he said and and your thoughts on it? I I was actually in Whistler when this happened, um, and I saw the I saw the tweet. I can't even remember who it was from. I think it might have been Uncle saying that there was <laughs> yeah saying there was a distasteful segment and I just I kind of I don't normally listen to 650 either but I just I wanted to hear about it just because it coincides with my interests in the law and he he essentially went on a spree of you should take what is alleged here with a grain of salt 
on the basis that um, I know Michael Dick personally, and Michael Dick is the Vancouver Giants head coach, um, who isn't actually a defendant in the class action and isn't named <laughs> a single time. He's not referred to by name a single time in the entire document. Um, but it was, I think it was reported in the hockey news by Ken Campbell that the coach referred to as Michael Dick. And I, I think that's where that information came from. But Walker basically said, you know, I've known him for a long time. He's a good person and he would never stand for this. And Dan Carcillo is the worst of the worst, has done X, Y, Z. And he's really just out to burn everything to the ground, doesn't care who he takes down with him. Um, and to be fair to Walker, because somebody gave me a really hard time about this and said I left out all the all the good things he said, which, sorry, in my opinion... <laughs> Citation I, needed. <laughs> I don't think there was anything in there that helped him. To be fair, I guess he started with, I think hazing is bad. Um, Bold statement. Yeah. And was... But, I, you know, I... I took issue with it. I think that leave it. I don't want to make it an appeal to authority. Like, I don't think you just assume what a lawyer pleads in a pleading is true, but I also think you can't just dismiss it and say, Oh, he's just doing this for attention. Like you do. There are lawyers do have ethical standards. You're not supposed to start frivolous suits. You do do some vetting of claims before you file an action. And I just I thought the way he talked about it and kind of suggesting that, you know, the right way to do this is to share your stories on social media and whistleblow. I was like, I, I don't understand how you could think sharing a story on social media with no evidence and being able to say whatever you want is somehow a higher standard than retaining a lawyer <laughs> and suing someone. Yeah, that's that's entirely reasonable to me. And uh, especially when like. I mean, just just a couple of additional things of of context to add on to he, on add on to this. One can't speak to Garrett Taylor, but players from the Sarnia Sting team that Carcillo played on have come out and gone on the record and said, "Yeah, this is true. This happened." Yeah. Uh, Charles Amodio would be the the best example. I think I talked at length about this on an old episode of Real Good Show. Uh, actually, I think the first episode of uh, Real Good Show on the like relaunch after Stefan and John left, but it's <laughs> it's like that stuff is has been that's already been litigated in the court of public opinion, like it's yeah. been it's it's come out, it's people have talked about it that that don't really have anything obvious to gain. And the other element of this too is that like generally there's just not a lot to gain from coming out and alleging abuse yeah. because your name just gets dragged through the mud. And we've seen that with Dan Carcillo over and over and over again. I feel like I know more about Dan Carcillo's transgressions than just about any other player in league history because he has actually tried to do something about it. So, you know, yeah. now I know all kinds of, of different uh, CD and, and, gross uh, stuff about him that I otherwise wouldn't. So I don't really know why you would why you would come out and allow your name to be dragged through the mud unless you had you know some sort of a reason for it. Yeah, um I don't know if you caught it we had we had Brock McGillis on Area 51 a few weeks ago. Um and he's done he's an LGBTQ+ advocate who used to be a professional player 
um, I think in Europe and in the OHL. And he basically said to us, you know, I have a lot of time for Dan Grisillo. I wouldn't normally have time for someone like that. And he's like, but I've spent a lot of time with him. And he's somebody who every allegation that has been made against him that he's done as unsavory as they are, he will say, I've done that. And so he said, Dan said to him before, why would I lie about these things that are being attributed to me? If I say I didn't do it, I didn't do it because I have no problem owning up to the things that I did do. Yeah. And that, that is, that is really valuable to me, I think. And, and, and just as importantly, it's, I think it, it explains why, or it at least helps explain why Dan Carcillo gets the benefit of the doubt more than a lot of people who have transgressed in the past. Yeah. And something that, that I noticed came up certainly in what Walker said and what others have said is people love to allude to the concept of cancel culture, but the people who complain about Dan Carcillo trying to do cancel culture to the CHL or to certain coaches in uh, junior and professional hockey they their immediate response is to try to cancel Dan Carcillo. So it, it seems to me that their real issue is not with cancel culture so much as with the fact that it doesn't function the way they would like it to. Totally. Or think it should. Um, and I think the thing that a lot of people don't understand, like I think a lot of people, uh, namely Andrew Walker, who, who did apologize in a statement that I did not read because uh, it was long and, I mean, I I just feel like I know enough about Andrew Walker to happy for you or sad, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I ain't reading all that. Happy for you though, or sorry that happened. Um, the uh, but the the thing that I think a lot of people don't really understand is that it's not just about apologizing. Like you don't just apologize for something bad you did and then it goes away. The the reason why some people like Dan Carcillo are sort of able to be integrated back into the community is because not only have they apologized, but they've also tried to not just change their own personal behavior, but make changes to systems, to the culture that created them. Something that Dan Carcillo is doing. Exactly. Um, something that I think when people when you do see people who have done bad things kind of get uncanceled <laughs> so to speak usually the 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 commonality is that they haven't just corrected their own behavior they've also tried to in some small way make things better for other people so i guess my 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 to close things out my final question would be what what was it exactly that like made you want to transcribe this and get the word out like were you were you upset by this um yeah i i was upset by it i think generally from a victim shaming kind of perspective partially from a defense of the legal system perspective um i think that when you have a platform like walker does you have to you know People are like, oh, he's a shock jock. It's just a take. This isn't this isn't like some take on whether Jim Benning is a good GM or not. Like this is an actual serious issue. It's before the court and it should be treated with some due diligence. 
Um, and you, you know, I think when it's that serious and it has real consequences that you have to, you have to talk about it with some responsibility. And I just, I thought the way it was approached was completely irresponsible. Yeah, I think that's I think that's entirely reasonable. Well, um, we are coming up on it. We've we've taken up uh, over an hour and a half of your time uh, here, thanks to technical difficulties. But uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Um, they can find me on Twitter at Samantha CP. But otherwise, I'm not going to tell you where you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you want to plug your show, I'm sure, too, though, right? Yeah. Um, I'm also, <laughs> thank you for that. I'm, <laughs> I'm on Area 51 Hockey. Um, we're a, another small Canucks podcast uh, trying to. Boutique. Yeah. Yeah. A boutique, <laughs> boutique podcast. And I think um, Sean's done a great job of bringing on kind of guests who target a more inclusive kind of hockey culture. Awesome, That's sweet, awesome, we love it. Yeah, um, yeah. Just uh, on on a related note, as we confidently move into the end portion of this episode, um, I want to make a plug as well. I made my debut f- debut for uh, Daily Hive this week, so um, you can check that out. The title of the piece is a look back at the JT Miller trade from one of its bigger biggest critics. Uh, if you enjoyed me while I was at Canucks Army. You can get more of that now at Daily Hive. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can, uh, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at McDonald. I just want to say, uh, now Jackson and I have both written for the Daily Hive, and I'm just I'm excited for Elliot's, like, review of the top five patios uh, <laughs> in Southeast Van. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go to patios. <laughs> uh, or just, like, review your new neighborhood. Sure. You know, we, we we can both. I'll call steal right. Justin's bit and review the top five parks within walking distance. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> also, I forgot that there's a street right next to yours called Elliott Street. Yep, I'm well aware of that, and I yeah. laugh every time I drive home on it. <laughs> I do too now. <laughs> uh, well, that's good. Okay, so you can find me uh, at Viasaran. You can follow me at Moose Kayak. And uh, on a classic note, you can direct your hate mail to uh, at Andrew Walker six fifty on Twitter. I feel like we hit all the all like four quadrants of a Roxy Fever episode this week. We had the NHL being insane, uh, petty media gossip and beefs, uh, weird like junior hockey labor politics, and um, just you know I don't know whatever food. the fourth thing is. Yeah, <laughs> food. Remembering some guys. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right. Oh, yesterday I was at a random uh, patio place uh, and I saw Brendan Gallagher was there. Uh, I didn't recognize him, but somebody else did. But he was seated at a table, right, like a table next to like the executive director of the BC Liberal Party, and it just <laughs> and an MLA as well, like an MLA who I've like I've duked it out with on Twitter before. <laughs> it was just like a very like hockey and politics at the same time. Based on what I've heard, I'm gonna <laughs> assume that Brendan Gallagher is like best friends with them. <laughs>